0: Welcome to South Island Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy, joined by my co-host Steve Walsh. Hello. And today we're joined by Stephen Appleby. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> we're in Stephen's Campbell studio. Taxidermy up there, I've just noticed. I'm going to be easily distracted, I think, by uh, bookshelves and lamps. And yeah, it's just full of... Real-to-real tape players. Artwork, phrenology heads,
1: all sorts of that.
2: Yeah, I get distracted by the stuff in here too. I've got a theory that I'd be better off in a completely empty room. I think, you know, just with a
0: desk where... Just a a white room with... Yeah,
2: exactly, a white
0: room. No windows, because otherwise you'd be looking out. Yeah, yeah. But that also sounds like... just fill it with
2: my imagination rather than all this stuff that's everywhere.
1: Well, that leads us quite nicely to my first sort of question, where I was obviously reading about you and your work, and you grew up in a vicarage... Near the Is Scottish you? Highlands.
2: Yes. yes. Uh,
1: and then went to boarding school. Yes. So for a long time there, you were sort of away from things. And, you know, was it a case of your imagination sort of filling those spaces around you where, you know, you're you're quite distant from what we'd think of as like large cities and, you know, busy yeah. a lot of energy around you?
2: Gosh, that's really interesting. I, yeah, I haven't really thought about it like that. I thought that maybe... Being sent to boarding school kind of warped me nicely in some sort of way, <laughs> damaged me in a kind of quite gentle way, if you know what I mean. Not too much, but just enough to to put me off kilter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I do. That, yeah, it's
1: not normal, is it, to go to boarding school and be away from? I guess not. No family, and um, you know, have that sort of. What you think is conventional schooling.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, it was kind of normal in my family for some weird reason so it didn't seem like I was being persecuted by my parents or anything (laughs) you know it wasn't like I was singled out you know uh but yeah certainly quite an upsetting experience you know I remember um sort of you you know because I was only 11 when I went to boarding school and I was um I remember ringing my mum like every night you know reversing the charges (laughs) from the school telephone (laughs) And kind of crying, you know, for like three weeks. And
1: that must have been pretty heavy duty for her to
2: cope with, I think.
1: Um, Did your imagination sort of flourish being away from the cities and, you know, what we think of as...
2: I think think maybe it did. I can't quite think exactly why it should have done. But um, maybe it did. I certainly was really into escapist stuff. So maybe, uh, you know, science fiction and... um, you, you know, I liked Swallows and Amazons, those kids' books where I'd sort of like be off in this kind of... Adventures. Adventure yes, world, yeah. uh, you know, where where the kids have an imaginary world in the real world, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And they redraw the maps of the real world. I used to do a lot of that kind of thing, redraw the map of what was around me in a fictionalised way, you know, that kind of thing. Um,
1: so it is an idea that there's a, a hidden world beyond. There's yeah. more than seems obvious.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, no, I loved... All of that kind of thing and and it's always seemed to me that the world isn't sort of all there is i mean i'm not I'm not kind of religious or anything, so I don't immediately think that that means there's a heaven or anything. I just sort of think just seems like there's other stuff just that you can't see out behind you or I don't know. I think um, that's a
1: good mindset for an artist to imagine there's more beyond and then
0: imagine what it could be yeah. that's, that's sort of beyond yes you uh, created uh, you've kind of created Stephen Appleby's world haven't you I mean if you go on your website com, like it kind of puts it as if you are entering another dimension doesn't it but uh, yeah, it's very true. much a kind of theme deliberately doesn't
2: yeah. it yeah yeah de- it definitely is a theme uh, I mean I, it took me a while to realise that that's what I'd done I mean I think the first sort of World I created was was the Captain Star one. Because before that I was kind of fumbling around, you know, and eventually, and the, so the Captain Star world. And then I thought I thought what I was doing was kind of creating different worlds. But then eventually I suddenly realised that that it's what what you say that it's kind of my world, and and these other worlds are within it. If you if you see, if you see what I mean, and uh, yeah, um, I think I sort of see the world. Around me as a kind of fictional place, in a you know, uh, and I also sort of see it that that the world is different for every person in it. You know, each of us is is the sort of centre of our own world. So um, our imaginations, or the, or the, I don't know, the way we see things, coloured by them,
0: whether we you know, boarding school
2: traumas or whatever it happens to be. Um,
0: it's funny you're yeah. doing that from uh, Campbellwell, which are, for my money is sort of the earthiest place in the world oh do you know <laughs> what I mean in like it's so so uh, sort of rooted it's so sort of mm. the opposite of fantastical
2: yeah I really like Campbell actually because it's so kind of grounded and mixed especially where you are as well I mean this is yeah. not
0: Campbell Grove say no
2: and, and occasionally I'll be somewhere like Holland Park you know to visit somebody and it just seems like not real you know mm. if you know what I'm saying I mean obviously to all the people who live there I guess it is but or Chelsea, or some of those, I don't know, it's strange. But they
1: look like sets from a film to me, because I've, yeah. I've never
0: known that world. So I yeah, just... I remember the first no, time I going down Old Brompton Road and just being like, I didn't even realise, this was probably only five or six years ago, but re- I didn't realise this was here. Yeah. Like, it just, it's so different to, you know, the kind of mean yeah. streets of SE7E and SE5. And and the way people
2: look and how clean they are, it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of different, you know. When the way they clothes fit them. <laughs> yes, exactly, how their clothes fit and stuff, how well they're cut. But yeah, um, but Camberwell is, uh, it, it's, it, it's very like, um, I've lived in about four different bits of London. Um, and in South London I lived in Herne Hill, which is nice. And, and I lived in Islington for a year and another bit of North London. And Camberwell is the most, uh, like being up in North, Northumberland where, you know, you walk on a house street and then people know you and say hello and, and whatever. And, and uh, in Camberwell, you can't—I can't walk to the shops without somebody saying hello or waving. Or do, do you know what I mean? No, and, definitely. And, yeah, I mean, I um, grew up
1: five minutes from here, and yeah. it was a case of there was a definite sort of feeling of community around
2: here. Yeah, and and there still is, even though it's more mixed now, I guess, than it used to be. Um, I mean, our street's got all sorts of different people—from the people who were born in the street to the people who moved in last year—and there. You know, I don't know, they've got a second home and they work in the city or something. Lots of artists around here.
1: Um, well, this is the more industrial end of Canberra, isn't it? You know, this, My dad used to work in a plant hire firm about sort of five minutes from here, and there's still a lot of... Hiring out plants... Uh, <laughs> industrial plants like compressors <laughs> for road diggers and okay. uh, all those <laughs> whatnot <laughs> yeah. yeah we're gonna the eight chrysanthemums uh, yeah because me, me sort of saying this is the industrial <laughs> side and then talking about my, as if my dad's hiring out floral displays yeah. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't really correspond but you know as you go along here there's uh, there's, I think there used to be like a tyre storage place down the end there's a yeah, lot of sort yeah. of very you know, industrial, it's compared to, it's got an industrial, yeah, 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 it has, yeah, and you know, if you compare that to, on the other side, of the green, uh, Camboyle Grove, you know, it's a very different thing, isn't it? Yeah,
2: very different, yeah, very different indeed, yeah,
1: but I think, as you say, uh, richer, sort of things.
2: Yeah, definitely, and uh, some, a friend of mine, moved down here, you know, from having lived in Richmond, and various places like that, and said exactly, what we've just been saying, that it was the most, sort of, well, the best part of London he'd lived in, yet, you know, just in terms of the feeling of sort of realness and, you know, so. That's
0: <laughs> kind of fake, isn't it? <laughs> no, but I think uh, there's the truth in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the sort of influences that you
1: first read growing up in terms of artists and writers? Um,
2: I think. Well, I mentioned Swallows and Amazon, so Arthur Ransom and that kind of thing, that sort of imaginative world. Drinking out of an Arthur Ransom rug.
1: Right? Yeah, so
2: exactly. Yes.
0: Um, Me too. Yeah, both
2: of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, and, and I still now, when I kind of change track with my work, so if I'm kind of going from kind of commercial orientated work, which is one kind of way of thinking, uh, to, to maybe making paintings or something, which I do from time to time. I'll often kind of take a day and just read an Arthur Ransom book. You know, I can read one in a day. And and it kind of, I don't know, shifts me back into some sort of more childish... Sort um, of cleans the palette. Yeah, it just sort of cleans things out. So, yeah, um, Swallows and Amazons. um, And then when I got into art, uh, stuff like... um, I liked Aubrey Beardsley. I can't remember how I came across Aubrey Beardsley. Those black and white drawings. And, uh, and I think I, I found it romantic that he died, you know, what probably seemed to me really old, you know, like 26 or something, <laughs> of whatever it was, but, um, you know. And, uh, and then I was really influenced by science fiction, and the writer with science fiction that, that I really loved and still love was is Philip K. Dick, and i think what we're talking about about other worlds and things I mean Absolutely. that's a constant theme that nothing is quite what it appears to be and you know
1: particularly the world looking normal and not being normal once yes. once you look again sort of thing that's a huge uh, theme as
2: well yes and 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 parallel kind of worlds side by side and um a friend of mine uh, a bit older than me who grew up in in the south in florida told me she was she was in the Girl Scouts in Florida, and she went to a kind of jamboree thing in some other part of America, and she was standing in the showers next to a black Girl Scout, and she said, "Where are you from?" And she said, "I'm Florida. Where in Florida? Jacksonville." And there were two parallel Girl Scout groups, the white ones and the black ones, right. and and my friend Lois didn't even know the black Girl Scouts existed, right? And that seemed to me so kind of, uh, you know, Philip K. Dick in a funny sort of well. Well,
1: absolutely, it changes how you look at the world. Yeah, your sort of world really? tilts, you yeah. Know, yeah.
2: yeah, So I, I loved all of that and um, and I think that's a theme that I've kind of just constantly uh, used in my work, you know. Um, even when I'm not aware I'm doing it, it's sort of there. <laughs> uh, and then another massively important person was Edward Gorey um, because up till then... I I hadn't been thinking about comics, for example, as a direction. I don't know quite why, but um, they were obviously really important too. But um, but Edward Gorey, I, I sort of thought I would have to write and draw children's books. You know, that seemed in the 70s when I was at art school to be the route if you wanted to write and draw, which is kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and... So and then I found discovered Edward Gorey and I found you could do kind of t- you know tiny I was going to say small books for adults that were really kind of macabre and quite yeah. surreal and and didn't necessarily run in a linear linear way and that was massively important with creating Captain Star um because it just liberated me from feeling that I had to kind of work on a plot and go A, B, C,
1: you know. And also, writing for children has a very definite tone, whereas yes. the gory stuff, the mm. tone is so odd, isn't it? And that's yeah. the thing, it sort of frees you to sort of go, it doesn't have to be conventional or commercial in that sort of way, you don't have to worry about appealing to a particular audience, you can do these, yes. these exercises in tone that will find an audience.
2: Yeah, that that mm. exactly, and that was massively important, you know, to discover his work.
1: I read an interview with you where you talked about your mother's comics.
2: Oh, yeah. Gosh,
1: was that in in the sense of your mother made comics, or she had co- a comic collection, or
2: she she wrote and drew uh, in school exercise books, about thirty school exercise books of kind of com- well, they are comics. I mean, they they're, they're a drawing per page, um, and they're massively influenced by kind of '30s films and you know all the. People she's drawing are really tall and skinny and they wear exotic clothes and they look like Jean Harlow and whoever the stars were. Um, and so they're all about kind of people falling in love and some dastardly guy kind of trying to steal the girl and, and there's gangsters in them and you know. So there's one drawing on each page and speech bubbles and, and so on. Most of them are just black and white pencil but there's some coloured ones which are lovely.
1: And did you know as a child
2: that your mother was making these? No, not at all. It it was only much later after my grandmother in Canada died and Mm. my mum went over to sort of sort her house out. She came back with various things, including these comic books. Um, But, I mean, she was really important, my mum, in terms of influence because, you you know, she kind of encouraged me to draw and she taught me about mixing colours and... Um and she introduced me to science fiction actually. She she had a Flash Gordon book, I remember, and she started me off with John Wyndham books, um, Day of the Triffids and yeah. so on. So, uh, you know, and then after that i read everything I could get in the local Wooler Library in Northumberland. Wooler's <laughs> Yellow Golance um course, yeah, yeah. science fiction books. So yeah, um, i I haven't actually looked at her comics in quite a long time i I think because i'm I'm not massively into those kind of romantic right. um ...30s films necessarily they but
1: did you find out about them after you sort of decided to become an artist or was it uh,
2: i think I think I was roundabout about at art school yeah right yeah basically yes, I can't remember when my grand died, but that would date it you know yeah, yeah. um yeah, and uh, unfortunately my mum died relatively young, 59, which I'm fast approaching, so it seems like a big deal. And I thought she was really old, you know, but obviously she was, wasn't really. and um, Or quite old, anyway, I thought she was. but uh, So she never saw me sort of do what I've done, right. which is a shame. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think she'd have enjoyed that.
1: So Captain Star was your sort of breakout work...
2: Yes. Yeah, I I think I think so. I mean before that I was doing illustrations mm-hmm. and um uh before that before Captain Star I was doing illustrations for the enemy uh and for City Limits, which was kind of rival to time out at that time. Um, <clears throat> but I had a job as a graphic designer. Uh, working for Assorted Images who designed all Duran Duran's covers and uh, Malcolm Garrett designed all the Buzzcocks sleeves and so on. And I'd been at art school with him, but then I dropped out of art school, but we kept in touch and uh, I um, went to work for him. I I went back, I dropped out, played in, in a band for a couple of years, then went back to art school, ended up at the Royal College of Art because I kind of took it more seriously second time around, you know. And uh, I kept in touch with Malcolm, and he helped me by giving me work, and he introduced me to the NME, actually, um, as well. And so I was working as a graphic designer of his company, and the NME asked me if I had any ideas for a, stri- a regular strip. And I, and I came up with Captain Star. I sort of, I'd been thinking about things for a while, but I took a day off work, and it all kind of came together in one day. And I've always expected that to happen ever since with things, <laughs> and it never does, never does again. But anyway, it came together in one day, and um, uh, and I think I did about sort of 12 or, or, or 18 or something drawings, kind of Edward Goreyish, in that they were all just... You could kind of put them in any order. They were things like...
1: Just moments. Just something. moments,
2: exactly. Yeah. They were moments out of Captain Star's world. Uh, him and his crew, and they were all kind of growing tomatoes and um, running a cafe and things like that because they hadn't had any orders from Mission Control for 11 years and they just got on, you know, with other things. And only the captain was sort of obsessively waiting for orders. The others were all doing whatever they did. And, um, and that all came together on that day. Uh, and, I mean, this is a slight aside, but my mum and dad got got together, and it was 11 years before my mum got pregnant. They were sort of trying for a kid for 11 years. Right. So I think that's where the 11 years came from. But I'm not really sure. But, um, yeah, so Captain Star was the first thing. And the enemy rejected it because they thought it was too weird, that the moments were too small. <laughs> <laughs> and that from one week to the next, one moment wasn't enough, you know. And, uh, and I had an exhibition where I hung all the Captain Star drawings, which, definitely 18 at that point, in little frames. And the art editor and David Quantic from the NME came and they, they sort of looked at them all together on the wall and they said, well, when you read them all together, they work really well. So they said, put three of them together to make a strip and then we'll run them. So that so they were literally kind of random. They were done as separate moments. Right. And then I would shuffle them around to see which three moments kind of felt right together. So very kind of Edward Gorey, really. And it was only later that I started to learn about sort of having a beginning and a middle and an end to a strip. <laughs> so it's almost like the beginning of my downfall to learn that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it became a strip then, that was how...
1: And uh, became an animation later on as
2: well. Yeah, well, um, the, Pete Bishop, who direct, who made animated things, was just starting his career as well. And he read Captain Star and the Enemy, and wrote to me, care of the enemy, and sent me some postcards of his first commercial he'd made, which was for Time Out. And um, and he said, you know, I love your work. Here's some of mine. Let's meet. So I you know, rang him. We met up. Got on, and we started. Playing around with the Captain Star characters, with animation, and eventually uh, a producer got involved. We, you know, it got developed uh, further. Frank Cottrell Boyce, who has written loads of films and lots of books for kids and everything, and is wonderful, and works with Danny Boyle on things. And he got involved and made it work because Pete and I weren't storytellers and. Frank was the person who kind of made it work for television. And uh, and we did one series. It took about seven years to raise the money. Um, and it was so kind of complicated, the funding, that it kind of couldn't be put back together for the next series. <laughs> I, think, I guess it would have done if it had been a massive hit, but because um, it, it remains obscure to this day. You know? yeah,
0: it's not like everything else that was on TV at the time, certainly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> when I was a kid, my, three of my best friends growing up were Tim Whitten, Stephen Whitten and Tom Whitten, who of course lived next door to you. So yeah, that. so that. <laughs> That's we were, brilliant. Yeah, so I was always aware there was a, like an artist next door, but it was tremendously oh. exciting. Like, oh, the guy next door has got a uh, TV show coming on this week. So wow. yes, yeah, so it was quite. Uh, <laughs> so I've seen you around, you know, sort of over the last oh, twenty years. Okay, but, uh, I didn't not, know that. You say that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, same for the show. Oh, yeah, 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 brilliant. But yeah, it was not like other stuff, was it? It wasn't like just like your regular children's show. And you were saying earlier that really it wasn't exclusively for children.
2: Well, originally it was just for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, me and a few friends, you know, it, I, I had about two, peop- two or three people that I had in mind when I was doing it for the enemy. And it was it was doing something I'd want to see or read, you know, that would entertain me or surprise me as well, you know. Um, and then uh, Malcolm Garrett, who I worked for, the Buscox sleeve designer, uh, I always showed them to him because he is really brilliant and um, we would talk about, about it. And, I, you know, and if he laughed or he liked it... it I wasn't interested really in making people laugh, to be honest. They tended to for some reason. But I wanted to kind of astonish and show people, you know, do something people hadn't seen before, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and if they laugh, great, you know. But I'd almost rather they kind of remembered it or or thought, some, showing another little bit of a world or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so going on to television, was very, we tried to get it funded as an adult show. To be screened at you know, I don't know, 11 at night or something, or or 8 or whatever, and couldn't got got nowhere with that at all. And eventually, our producer, um, we sort of slightly rejigged it to be a, a kids' show, but but it wasn't really very much changed, it's still pretty true to the um, the original thing.
1: The central concept does seem like a sort of a classic British sitcom premise, it is this idea of this group that's removed from the action and yeah. are sort of anticipating and hopeful of getting back into things. Yes. So it's, it's almost like sort of Dad's Army, where they're away and like one yeah. day... Or, you know, Only Fools and one day we'll be millionaires, one day Basil Fawcett's hotel will be here. It's always about this yearning. Slightly
2: closed world. Yeah. This yeah.
1: Is it. And they're, they're trapped in it and they, you know, the captain in particular wants to get back to where he was. Yes. But can't. And, yes. And, and isn't going to. So there, there is that sort of, as I say, sort of classic... Sitcom seed to it, isn't
2: it? That's yeah. That's interesting because I'd never thought of it as a sitcom, but yes, I can see that completely. I i hadn't seen it. That that wasn't what I was thinking of when I was doing no. it. If you see what I mean? No, but that's but, the thing, I
1: can, that's the appear like a tea for the TV people wanting to get involved. Yeah, that sort
2: of. Yes, well, one of the things that's always interested me is that it's it's been the most successful thing I've done in the sense of of You know, it's been in, you know, it, after the NME, it was in the Observer for a while. It's been in American comics magazines and in European, you know, it's been published all over the place. Oh, and it, I mean, it ran in Die Zeit, you know, Zeit, Die Zeit, the newspaper in Germany and another German paper, you know, all sorts of things and the TV series and so on. And and yet it was the most self-indulgent thing just mm. about that I've done, you know, completely pleasing myself and uh and malcolm and <laughs> so i it's a kind of massive lesson to me which i constantly forget <laughs> and have to try and remember again to 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 please myself and have fun and mess about and do what i want to do um because it's so easy to start trying to um not I don't really try and guess my audience exactly, but do you know what I mean? You, you know, you have to. Particularly if you're doing to, a
1: pitch or something, try and anticipate what they're looking for. Yeah,
2: it's very easy, particularly with the experience I've had now, to to come up with something and kind of think, oh, nobody's going to, nobody'll run that. You know, it's too weird or whatever. And you have to, I have to forget that, and um, and you know, just get on and and do things. But, yeah. And it obviously that gets more complicated again when you've got a mortgage and
1: mm, and a house. Other
2: yeah, so you've got to, you know pay the bills, yeah.
1: The other animation project you've been involved in, uh, is small bird singing.
2: Oh yeah. Um well that's uh that was a strip that I did originally for the Times and um and, and and that was brilliant because the times rang me up and asked me if I would l- do a strip for them, you know, which is brilliant. Actually, m- my career has mostly gone like that. I've very very rarely gone out and sought anything. It's always kind of c- come come along, and you know, touch wood, it keeps <laughs> keeps happening. So anyway, they re- I, so I came up with small bird singing, and um, uh, and and it's what. It's one of those strips that I, at the time, I used to find it really hard for some reason. Week after week, I used to struggle with it. But when I look back at it, it actually seems to work much better than I thought it did at the the time, you know. And I'm really happy with it looking back. Ran for about eight years, I think. And uh, which meant, is that right, eight years? So 50 strips a year, roughly. So 400-odd strips. Which uh, my cousin, Linda McCarthy... Always really liked, uh, and so when she kind of, she was a, a ceramicist and when we were kids, we used to make marionettes and do marionette shows together and so on. And she always continued to do marionette shows and things like that. So she, when her kids grew to an old enough point, she re, she went back to college, re tra- you know trained as an animator and animation, and asked me if she could animate. The characters from Small Bird Singing, so you know, obviously I was totally happy, and it's uh, and it's been really fun because it's like when we were kids, you know, Still making, making marionette marionettes. Sense. Yeah, <laughs> so she's making puppets, which is just like marionettes without strings. It's perfect for her, you know, um, to to film them, and and it's fun to write. and Kerry Shale does all the voices for them. He was the voice of Navigator Black in Captain Star and uh yeah, really exciting and fun and and the puppets are great because she makes them the heads out of ceramic, so they're fired ceramic heads, and you change the heads for different expressions and eye movements and stuff and uh yeah, it's been really good fun
1: um, and the radio as well You've you've worked in oh. but, uh...
2: well, that's another of like I was saying about things happening i mean. That's another thing where uh, I'd done posters for uh, a theatre company called Yorkshire Theatre Company, a touring company, and I did five or six posters for them for their shows each year um, with a gap at the bottom where they could write in, you know, Wooler Community Centre or whatever, you know, one night. And uh, the, the person, Toby, who ran Yorkshire Theatre Company and directed the shows... Moved to the BBC and he became a radio drama producer, and the BBC had a workshop. They had a week away workshop thing for drama producers, and you went to um, one of those writers retreat places. It was called Lum Bank, which which I think used to belong to uh, Ted Hughes, and and so Toby rang me up and he he said. Uh, I want, you know, know, there's this opportunity to go on a week-long BBC workshop, experimental radio workshop, uh, and each producer has to have a collaborator from outside the BBC who's never done radio before, and um, would you be my collaborator? So I said, yeah, that sounds brilliant. We got selected, went to Lumbank for a week, and, and we had to make seven minutes of experimental radio by the end of the week, and it was one of the most brilliant weeks I've ever spent. It was so great. Um, they had fantastic people come and work with us, and they, we did sort of exercises, you know, the kind of things that fill me with terror, you know, to think about that, like where you have to, I don't know, come up... You get 15 minutes to come up with something and write so many words, and then you have to read them out to everybody. And, and you know, one of the other producers had a choreographer as, as his collaborator, and another producer had a musician... Um, and it was just a brilliant week of of sort of mixing with these people and uh...
1: a choreography is very experimental radio. Isn't it? Yeah, 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 <laughs> more so
2: than having an art an artist yeah. or a cartoonist really because yeah. I do deal with words. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so and yeah. You also, you know, you can visualise things that can be described. Yes. But the physical movements of a body across a space. Yeah, <laughs> oh.
2: I can't remember what. What the choreographer and his producer did. That's why I'm you just put
1: some heavy boots on, didn't you? And just sort of <laughs> 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 yeah. hope for the best.
2: But it was all really great, and we all got on well, and it was, you know, really fun. And um, and basically, the seven minutes of radio were sort of Stephen Appleby's normal life, and that then became a kind of proposal for a series, which was then commissioned by Radio Four and ran for sort of two series and a christmas special and um which is kind of weird and the the thing that always entertained me about it was that sort of obviously I was myself in the experimental version but when it came to making it for the, for real toby kind of t- tactfully and gently said to me that he didn't think I could act well enough to play myself <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I, and
1: did you so, explain that you are you are a Kramer and you have to play Kramer? <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, isn't it? How, who's going to play you better than you? Well,
2: <laughs> uh, no. in in a way, in retrospect, I kind of think it would have been really interesting to have played myself. But maybe I'm another ten years more confident or something or stupid or whatever. <laughs> but um, but what it meant was that uh, he got somebody to play me, and and I had been worrying about acting alongside. Proper actors, and you know, so I was kind of relieved. And it then meant I could do that whole thing about worlds within worlds again. And 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 it, and I loved the fact that, um, that Paul McCrink sort of said, Hello, I'm Stephen Appleby, and he wasn't, you know, <laughs> and and then it meant that there could be the f- fake Stephen Appleby and the real Stephen Appleby within the episodes. So I did play myself occasionally as the real me, you know, so the whole thing. But it it became very difficult. The first series I wrote not knowing who was going to play me and everything. And then the second series I found much harder to write because, I don't know, because the first series I was kind of writing for me, if you know what Mm. I mean, then it turned out not to be me. But, oh, anyway. (laughs) It's one of those frustrating things. I love doing it as well because it's great not to draw anything and have all the pictures be in people's heads with sound. I love that. And I'd love to do more radio. But, um the uh it, it, it's it's something where i felt it kind of got to be about 80% of what it could have been because i was sort of trying to learn fast enough and uh, and work hard enough at it as well as doing other things and i think i was doing three weekly strips at that point as well you know times guardian and telegraph and um so it's quite hard to switch
1: between the projects. Between the projects, yeah. between
2: the worlds. Well enough. Um.
1: I think my favourite story of the sort of element of serendipity that mm. comes into you finding work was uh, for Rockets Passing Overhead, where wasn't there some sort of thing about an email virus? Oh, God,
2: yes. <laughs> well, yeah, um, that's true. Well, that's, it wasn't Rockets Passing Overhead exactly. What it was was that um, when I was doing Captain Star for the Enemy. I thought, you know, the obviously brilliant way to um, make a living or even lots of money mm-hmm. was to syndicate the strip to 400 newspapers or 1,400 newspapers like Garfield or something. And then you get paid a small amount, you know, 400 times or whatever for work you've done once. And then you could really concentrate on it. And Anyway, so I approached the syndication company... Um, Night Features and with Captain Star, and Peter Knight said that he liked my work, and but he just didn't think it was syndicatable at all. And I was kind of, I could see why, you know, and everything, because Captain Star was a bit meaningless. <laughs> no, not meaningless, wrong word, full of meaning, um, a bit obscure and yeah. sort of opaque. M- opaque, yeah. Yes. And um, so, uh, you know, that was the end of that. And it was many years later that I, you know, probably, you know, must must have been ten years later at least, maybe more, that I got an email from Peter Knight at Knight Features, just saying, you know, I thought you'd be interested in this and a link. So I clicked the link frantically and you know and everything and it and I've got a Mac so it didn't do anything. So I, and I thought this is probably a virus, you know, something's attacked his address book and you know. And um so I wrote back to him saying, you know, dear Peter, uh, thanks for your email, lovely to hear from you out of the blue or whatever. Um but I can't understand what you're sending me, so can you send it again, please? You know. And he wrote back saying, you know, dear, dear Stephen, whatever you do, don't open it, it's a virus. Uh and um but but you know, nice that we're back in touch. Um, I've been following your career and would you like to come in and talk to me again? You know? <laughs> so I went, you know, and now he represents my strips. And right. and I think he still found them to be unsyndicatable. <laughs> just about, you know. I think I think one one strip is running in New Zealand, I think. So it's not four hundred papers, it's one. <laughs> <laughs> but um and but the other serendipity thing was how I got published by Bloomsbury, um, who published I think about twenty books. Um, and uh and I was doing some work for Richard Ingrams, who had just started the Oldie magazine. And I think I'd done a cover or something at that point. And I went to, to deliver it to the office. So it was obviously before I could scan it and, and take it in. So I'd, I'd taken the artwork to the Oldie office. And Richard said, it's my birthday today, Stephen. If you want to wait around for half an hour or so, we're going to have drinks in the office. And I said, oh, great. OK, thank you. And, you know, I hung about and, you know, they sort of cleared the table and wine came out and everything. And about, you know, half an hour in, I was standing near Richard Ingram's and he was talking to a lady who, who I, in my memory, seemed kind of a formidable looking person. And and he said to her, um, Liz, do you know Stephen Appleby's work? And she said, I don't think I do. Richard Ingram said, you really should publish Stephen. He's a wonderful artist. And she sort of looked at me kind of over her glasses and said, should I? (laughs) And I said, well, that would be really nice. (laughs) And she said, well, you know, come and see me in my my office next week. So I went in and she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to do my own book because it, it had occurred to me since the first conversation that maybe she thought I wanted to do covers or illustrate a book or something. And um, so I said, I'd like to do my own book. And she said, what do you want to do? And I kind of said, well, I haven't got a clear idea at the moment. Um, And she said, well, go away, decide what you want to do and, you know, get back to me. So I went up to Northumberland and we have a cottage that my mum used to have on the coast. And I was up there and I said, and for some reason, the idea, the phrase normal sex came into mind. And I drew the drawing of a man on all fours with a chair on his back with normal sex above it. <laughs> and, and I faxed it to her from Northumberland and she rang me straight back and said, this is great, we'll do it. <laughs> so all my sort of book publishing career, which has been incredibly, I was going to say successful, I mean lucky in the sense of so many, you know, yeah, yeah. so many opportunities to do books, um... It's all all from came one. from that conversation of having seen the facts, <laughs> well, yes, but having, happening to be in the oldie office on that day, yeah, you know, absolutely, it's just, yeah. But it's then, just ridiculous. But
1: there's there's, there's, two there's, there's, the, there's the, the coincidence of being in the office on that day, yeah, but then there's also uh, the very concrete, definite thing of it's Richard Ingram saying, This yes. is Stephen Apple you should definitely publish, you know,
2: yeah, that's true, yeah. that's true. So, so, I always think of Richard Ingrams as being massively important, you know um to my career and also um and i mean i guess it's the fact that i that i did d- deliver work that that um that people liked you know i mean if i'd been doing not very good work for him he wouldn't have, do you know what i mean so there's yeah. a third thing too that
1: but there's also the the element of as you say if you look at your publication history at bloomsbury yeah it's so prolific yeah but you know you know they, you know, they it's not a case of them doing a book going No, it's nice to do a book, but we will but they it's a relationship they're
2: happy to have going on. Yeah, it it was really brilliant. I mean the uh, I didn't say it, I don't think that the lady who was standing with Rich, Richard Ingrams was, was Liz Calder, who is a very famous editor and she was one of the four founders of Bloomsbury. And so even as Bloomsbury got bigger and more corporate and stuff, um, she was able to kind of say, I'm publishing this and
1: um is she
2: related to John Calder? I don't know, actually. I
1: think she might, yeah, I think she might be. Honestly, yeah. I don't know. He's another sort of legendary figure in British oh, okay. publishing. Well, yeah. possibly. Yeah, I don't I think know. So,
2: yeah. But um so she was absolutely fantastic with me, and uh, and each year she would say, "What do you want to do this year?" You know, and you know the catalogue's going to press in three weeks. Come in and talk to me, and I'd say, "Well, I we could, I could do this or this," and she might go, "Or or how about this?" You know, or whatever and um and her sort of editorial skill with me was brilliant which was basically leaving me alone but just saying enough to keep me really enthused and feeling that I was on the right track and and occasionally something crucial like I you know I don't know um you know I think that part's going the wrong way I think you need to put it there and move that there and and i and sort of go, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That sort of brilliant thing of of making you leave the office d- eager to carry on. Yeah. Um, and with very
1: definite ideas about yeah. Not just a case of, have another go, but I'm not going to give you any direction on what yeah, that yeah. should be, but giving you some direction, but not telling you. Yeah, exactly, just, yeah, exactly. It, it sounds ideal, does it? <laughs> Absolutely perfect,
2: yeah. yeah. Yes, and... Uh, it it kind of moved me slightly away from comics i suppose because captain star was more in the comics territory uh and i haven't done and everything since then has been newspaper strips or illustrated books um but i'm actually trying to work out how a kind of more comics graphic novel project at the moment so who knows
1: Loomis, Mm. which is your uh, strip in the Guardian. Yes. You got the name Loomis from a builder. Yes.
2: Uh, Yes, a roofing guy who redid the roof of the studio was called Loomis, and I don't actually know how he spelt it, but that's where the name Mm -hmm. came from.
1: Um, I was wondering, like, how much? I mean, it seems obvious in a lot of your, particularly in your sort of current uh, newspaper strip work. A lot of it is drawn from your life and the things around you.
2: Yes. Well, even with Captain Star and so on, weirdly enough, it it often was, uh, you know, because even though the captain was stuck on a remote planet waiting for orders, and you know, he would, I, it would have something, you know, if I if, I'd, if if my vacuum cleaner had broken down, then his might break down. Do you know, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, You're sort of Processing that, it through. Yeah, there? yeah. Um, but Lu, yeah, Loomis is specifically when I was kind of. Uh, I used to do a strip that had no kind of boundaries at all, which was in the Guardian magazine. And when they asked me to do a new strip in the family section of the Guardian, um, it it obviously has a more family uh, content, really, because that's for the, you know... But So it just means that that I kind of... Again, I can sort of do anything, but if I do too many aliens kind of strips, then Mm -hmm. they... Might occasionally say, "Can you do you know more family one this week <laughs> but um but basically i can I can kind of yeah it, it's things around me you know i you know, I think the next trip I do might be about having problems getting shoes that are comfortable and fit well because I've been finding that a problem recently, you know um, so it's just anything like that, you know we've got a dog. Small dog strips, you know. Um, so it's all things that happen around about me. And my kids suggest strips as well from time to time, which is useful.
1: <laughs> yeah. In terms of uh, places, I've noticed um, you seem to speak very kindly of the Review Bookshop in Peckham, but also mm. particularly the uh, Bookseller Crow in yeah. Crystal Palace.
2: Well, I really like the independent shops where, you know, and Gosh is another one, Obviously, where you can go in and people really know what the books are in the shop, and they've chosen them, and they've not got, and they've not got, you know, bookseller Crow is funny actually because I was in there not like, long ago, and there was a Dan Brown book, and I thought that they wouldn't stop Dan Brown, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's I was kind that of doing like, here? what's that say, <laughs> and, and he looked sheepish. You know. uh, Christmas is the answer, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, survival is the because, other answer, yeah, of course, yeah. 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 But, um, so so yeah, I just love those shops where they, you know, have events and they open in the evening and, you know, they, I don't know, they have their own festival and they have talks by authors and so on. And I'm ashamed to say that I don't go to nearly enough of the events myself. I always kind of mean to and then, you know, family life and everything sort of fail to get to them. But uh, I just like those kind of, those shops and I know those three three shops particularly well. Um,
0: Where's the one in Peckham? Uh,
1: it's on.
2: Um, it's sort of Bellden yeah, Road. Say it's Bellendon kind Road. of. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure if it's actually on Bellden Road. I think but it's kind I, of. I was going to say, say Bellendon right. Road. Yeah, it's well, well, yeah, just yeah, of the of crow
1: King. in particular in terms of events. And I think mm. you know you're absolutely right in terms of of doing things. But it's quite interesting. It's one of those things where independent bookshops, with the rise of these monolithic online retailers. Yes. Have been forced to get so creative about how they're going to sell. Yes, you can't just rely on, you know, mm. having the right stock in. And you know, myself and Jack both worked at Waterstones, and mm. were there during the time when you had these people running the company that thought matching Amazon on discount was the way to go. Right. So you're just selling like twenty five pound hardback cookbooks for four pounds. Yeah, yeah. What you need
0: to do is have a midnight opening for the Morrissey topography. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you know as you say yeah events and just mm. sort of making the the shop a destination point making giving people yes. a reason to go there beyond i want to get a book turn it into a place that's yeah. you, fun to visit
2: i know and daunt books is nice too because they look like you imagine a bookshop should look like do you, the wood you know panelling. The, and, yeah, the and, yeah the wood yeah, paneling no, and everything yeah, yeah. yeah and um i like that i mean I, I i do buy books online because it's so convenient to just the, think of a book that you want and order it
1: and whatever. So obviously with your work for The Enemy and previous to that, with uh, the graphic design work, music's been a big influence on your work. Yes.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I... Used to uh, well, punk and stuff was massive. I used to love the band I was in when I dropped out of art school. Were influ- influenced by the Beatles and Ten CC and Genesis and eggs, <laughs> yeah. and then punk came along, and it was like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, yeah, mu- music obviously with the enemy. I mean, it has always been really uh, a- an important thing. I-, I actually nowadays play much less music in the studio than I used to. I find I can't think. Um, I can't drift off into my own world if I'm listening to, um, you know, something that demands your attention, yeah. you know.
1: But I can't um, write if there's something with lyrics on. Yeah, to yes, exactly. I I can, trying, it has to well, be quite ambient and yeah. chill out,
2: and yeah, or classical or something. But um, what happened to me with music was that kind of the... Mi- I, I sort of... I like music that's kind of got kind of... Well, I'm using words vaguely here, but like sort of truth and... Me, you know, just feels sort of right and true and real, and and so you know things like Velvet Underground and quite a lot of punk and um, and so on, and and then in the early eighties, it seemed to lose that for me, and I was hearing all these bands. I don't know the New Romantic period, and so on, I didn't really feel it kind of, I don't know, tapped into some kind of truth about life or something. And so uh, and I was kind of thinking that maybe I'd got too old for music or something, you know. <laughs> and then the Pixies came along and, and I thought, yeah, you know, this is... And they completely got me back into um, feeling that, you know, music spoke to me and, you know, spoke, you know, my thoughts and so on. So, that, so yeah, the Pixies are a, are a big influence for me.
0: Uh, you obviously ended up drawing uh, some rockets on the Trompe Le Monde yes Uh, disc and inlay
2: card yeah that that was massively exciting because it was kind of I was you know I was and am a a huge fan and at that time um, when they were sort of making their key albums and everything to be asked to do that was like uh, was like you know I don't know being asked to do a Beatles sleeve or something Mm. and I mean I wasn't for me I wasn't obviously doing the sleeve I was doing little details, you know, but, um, but it was great, and that came about because Vaughan Oliver, who designed the Pixie Sleeves <clears throat> I knew vaguely, and he knew of my work and stuff, and he 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 told me that he was sort of like, the sleeve was virtually finished and it just was missing something it just needed some little thing and then he thought of my rockets and uh, rang me up, and I did kind of like a set sheet of rockets for him uh, you know, a sort of A4 sheet kind of covered with i don't know 30 or 40 little drawings of rockets and then he asked me for a few specific ones like a curved one yeah i was say it goes around the disc yeah it? that's my yeah. favorite one the one on the cd goes yeah. from, it curves around the disc and i'd never thought of curving them till then <laughs> so that was uh pretty, yeah going pretty back cool. to
0: like being aware of your kind of presence from mm. a friend's neighbor yeah I remember at the time when we were big Pixies fans Not, I say at the time it was like it been about 2002 yeah. but we were big Pixies fans and I, me and like Stephen Whitton, I were like have you seen this? have you, have you seen it's done? Wow. yeah it was, sort of, it was quite very exciting
2: yeah yeah gosh it's great it's it's really interesting mm-hmm. to hear that because uh, I you know Steve Witton never said that to me you know what I mean <laughs> right, yeah. we say hello I haven't yeah. seen um, them so much recently I see No, when all know, the, the kids have moved, moved out, out yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: but, um, I, I was curious. If you did, you direct people to your house by saying it was next to the one with the Bible verse in the window. <laughs> yeah, I did sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but
2: I always felt that it was. I'm not a religious person, uh, but I'm interested in religion. Do you know what I mean? As to uh, because again, it's another world, isn't it? A mm, way of looking so at the world, it, yeah, another yeah. belief, another thing, and so I'm interested in it in that way. But I always, you know, was worried about, you know, whether we might upset the witness because of, <laughs> of living in a sinful way. Or <laughs> um, I'm getting myself am in trouble here, probably. But, um, you know, just because, you know, like, you know, I'm a sort of transgender person nowadays and me and Nicola, the mum of my kids, still my wife, separated and she's got a new partner and the three of us live essentially there and bring up the kids together so it's a kind of unorthodox household but I think which I think works really well you'd have to interview my kids you know (laughs) but um I think it's a kind of example of people being tolerant and uh easygoing and and you know working at something and making it work you know and so I didn't have to kind of move out when we separated and see the kids every fortnight, you you, you know, once a fortnight, which a lot of people do, that I know. And um, so, yeah, but, but, I mean, I'm sure um, the Whitten family next door would be, (laughs) would see that as a good thing, you know. But you know what I mean? You sort of wonder what they think. Yeah, I mean, it's,
0: it's, uh, you're in quite a unique situation or sort of, it's certainly very rare. I mean, you must uh, sort of, I don't know, worrying about what the world around you thinks is a kind of uh, yeah, a tricky um, thing at the best of times isn't it? Yeah, um, I, I mostly
2: don't to be you know, honest. And,
0: you've um, got to do what's best for your family and uh, yeah. the thing,
1: as you say you know, yeah. you being there for your kids is you know, <laughs> the most important thing isn't
2: it? Yeah I, yeah, I think so definitely and I think they think so, we have had a few conversations about it and they've sort of the kids have said that it's been really good because they just accepted it and Um, and I've been around and no, no problems. And I mean, the whole transgender thing, uh, has, has been amazing for me because I've, you know, never had a bad experience with it, which is, you know, touch word is going to (laughs) continue. Um, you know, nobody's been mean to me. Nobody's, you know, uh, not giving me work because of it, as far as I know. You know, the Guardian are fine. You know, everything's fine. So, the
0: Guardian will be fine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they ought to be fine. (laughs) Um,
2: And, you know, my kids' friends from school. You know, everything's been fine. So uh, I think it's
0: one of those things where, you know, you grow up and you you don't know anything, you don't come across that kind of thing, and it's mm. terrifying and different. And, uh, you know, as an ignorant kind of child, teen, even adult, you, you know, you don't process it particularly mm. well. But when you come face to face with it, it's like when you first... Like, I grew up, you know, religious and, um, um. you know, very, say, homophobic. And you go to work and you meet gay people and you work with them yeah. and you're just like, this is ridiculous. And you just <laughs> up front, next to a human being. Yeah. All that kind of things that are just written down that kind of becomes a bit ridiculous. And...
2: I, I completely agree. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, when I was at art school, there was a gay... Uh, boy in the year below me who was just such a sweetheart he was such a nice person everybody liked him and he used to wear eye makeup and his hair was blue or whatever and he would wear sort of boiler suits you know tightly belted and things and kind of look sort of slightly eccentric and different and the people in the corner shop loved him and the ladies who worked in the canteen you know go hello Tim you know <laughs> and, and that was a really good lesson that you that if you kind of smile and you're open and you're friendly, you can really you know, that massively helps. You know, d- uh, as well as you know everything, you know it ought to be fine anyway. Yeah, but yeah, but it kind but of you forces I mean?
0: people to um, yeah to about to it makes a mockery of their stereotypes. Yeah. yeah, or the kind of uh, or the fact that we're the you're so different to them. You know, when you yeah. kind of interact with them on a human level, it just that goes out the window, and they've got no yeah. excuses, have they, really? Yeah, if you are yes. been who's
1: brilliant, you're not suddenly going to go,
0: it's a shame, because you are brilliant, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you've made a
1: lifestyle choice to me, you friends. It's just madness, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I
2: mean, I always go in shops and I smile, say hello, and, you know, and I think it all kind of spreads like a sort of virus, of... <laughs> 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 maybe. <laughs>
1: Related to your love of the Pixies, and your mm. Pixies-related work, you did the cover for Josh Frank's book about the Pixies, for the World.
2: Um, yeah, well, uh, yes, I didn't quite do the, cover. I mean, he, I did some drawings for him and they then used them, you know, for the sort of design to cover using them. But, right. um, but yeah, yes, I did that. And then as a result of that, uh, meeting Josh Frank, when he, he interviewed everybody who'd ever, as far as I could tell, done anything to do with the Pixies for his book about the Pixies. Cause I remember he rang me up and I sort of said why are you ringing me up? You so know, it's I, rockets, I've done, you know, I've done virtually nothing, you know, Vaughan Oliver, you need to speak to. And, um, Simon, Lopalastia who took all the pictures, photographs and stuff. And he said, Oh, but you do that drew those rockets. And for a Pixies fan, they exist and they're on there. So and I went, Oh, okay. So he spoke to me. And so when he was working, he's been working on a new book. Is that what you're thinking about as well? Yes.
1: yes. Yeah.
2: Um, He's been working on a book with Black Francis, which is a novel. Um, kind, of, it's kind of written in the style of a screenplay, half part screenplay, part novel. And uh, they asked me to do some drawings to sort of, I think, kind of help help them visualize it, maybe. Uh, and then they liked the drawings a lot. I did, I did some. Half a dozen drawings quite quickly, one of which is in the final book, and um, uh, and then th- that I think that helped them to kind of move the book along, and then I kind of just stayed on board with the project, and and I and I really really love the story they've written. It's full of layers of worlds again, which keep cropping up. So it's perfect for me, you know, somebody who steps from one world into another, into another, you know. And then there's all the layers, you know, there's the reader of the book's world and the world of the book itself and the worlds within the book. And uh, and I think it's just about to go to press. That was really, really fun to do. Um, we should uh, say
0: the book's called The Good
2: Inn. The Good Inn, yes.
0: And when is it out, Steve? Um, I don't know if the publication date is May, isn't
1: it? Is it May?
2: I believe it's May, yes. Uh, um, It's from Self Made
1: Heroes. Yes, Self Made Made Heroes website. They'll get all the information and be able to see um, the cover, which will be available in Gosh, will it? It will certainly be available in Gosh.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's got. God, it must have about 120 drawings in, I think. It's not a graphic novel, which I think it accidentally got thought to be, but yeah originally um, I
1: heard it was uh, mm. a graphic novel written by black Francis and illustrated by you but then yeah. well more, more closely as you say it's written by Josh Frank and black Francis yes with illustrations by you, yes. you said hundred and twenty illustrations that's
2: uh... yeah I mean it's you know it's got drawings on almost every page and uh, yeah um and and I'm you know really happy with it it's a sort of strange mixture of sort of uh drawings that that there had to be drawings that kind of drew the characters if you know what i mean i couldn't avoid that so so and i'm not actually very good at drawing characters consistently which is one of the reasons i've avoided graphic novels and things to be honest because you know, I start drawing a character, and they mutate mm-hmm. within a few drawings to look quite different. <laughs> and I can't keep their face shape the same and whatever, you know. So anyway, but I did have to do, draw the characters. Um, so it's got a sort of a sort of realism to some of the drawings, and then a kind of uh,
1: fantastical
2: fantasticalness to others. So it's a kind of mixture, and I hope it works. You know, I think it works. So um, what yeah. was
0: the process? Uh, did, did they turn over the script to you, and you just? Sort of did what you want, or
2: yeah, basically yes. I mean, I was doing drawings, as I say, from an early stage when the book was. It was an idea of Black Francis's, <laughs> and um, you know, I I didn't work on the on the creative side of that, so I don't quite know how it would have just stated, but um, but I I did drawings when it was very early on, and then more drawings when it was further developed, and more drawings later. And then I've got the final script and kind of filled in <clears throat> more drawings. And uh, and some of the drawings are just words. You know, there's one drawing that just says real, unreal. And there's a dotted line down the middle, which in a funny sort of way was one of the key early drawings because it was about the sort of worlds of the, you know, of the book, real and unreal.
1: It's set in France at the turn of the, of the uh, yes. century, did you do a lot of research in terms of? The the time Uh, and costume and whatnot, or was it...
2: Yes, I mean, I did... I've been to France on various occasions, so I uh, had photographs and things. And, um, you know, and I did do a special trip to take photographs in Paris, because a lot of it's in Paris. And uh, I also had a a sketchbook from trips I'd made... Mm. um, when i was a student and i used some sketchbook drawings from when i was a student in the good inn which was great because they've got a kind of realness to them um because i sat in a square drawing you know a cafe or whatever um and and you know and i went there and i took photographs of things i thought would be useful details and stuff so um yeah, that kind of research and uh the authors kept sending me pictures. Um the, the 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 French soldier ends up in the first narrative pornographic movie ever to be made. And so they sent me the a still the only still they thought was probably from that movie. So uh, yeah, anyway. And I, you know, downloaded various sort of movie type things from <laughs> of that sort of movie. <laughs> that might be handy, and so on. You know. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's a real sort of mix of different. Yeah, different I don't
2: normally stuff. do. I, I normally have <laughs> subjects where I don't do any research because I'm I, I'm I'm not a good research person. So, science fiction is great for me. I can just make everything up. Yeah, it's your vision. Isn't it's that? my thing. Yeah, and so this is this was different. And the, and another different thing was the work. You know, I worked on the drawings and assembled them in my computer in different elements which is not something I've ever done before. Normally I have a finished drawing that you could put on a wall. Um, but with the good in, a lot of the drawings were scanned and then changed and bits moved and colours done separately and added. and So they're kind of collaged within the computer, which is something I've not done. So, yeah, fun, fun, fun project. And, yeah, I hope people like it.
0: Thanks for talking to much, Stephen. Much appreciated. StephenApplebee.com. People want to see more of your work and get a hold of some of it. Uh, the book will be out in May, we think. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure we'll, that's we'll right. certainly
1: mention it uh, on our uh, blog and Twitter feed once it is out.
0: Thank you. So SouthlandHardcore.com for a hundred plus other episodes. We're on iTunes as well at SLXC on Twitter.